Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. My friends, I'm so happy you are here to join me and our awesome guest today, Bridget Dengel Gaspard, because already in our pre-chat, I learned that my archetype is poor. And if you've been listening to the Positive Productivity Podcast for a while, you know I coined a phrase called chronic idea disorder, the never-ending supply of entrepreneurial ideas. And I have it, and I've been struggling with it. And I'd love to know from you all if you have struggled with an abundance of ideas, but when it comes to actually getting stuff done, and finishing projects if you've struggled in the long run. And that's what Bridget and I are going to be talking a lot about today. But Bridget was telling me right in the pre-chat that there's an archetype type. Is that the right way of saying it, Bridget? Archetype yeah, archetype. Type? That's, some people say archetype. I say archetype. Oh, I like it either. It's like tomato and tomato, I guess. <laughs> yes. How do you say the color that comes between red and yellow, just out of curiosity? Oh, do you mean orange? Yes. <laughs> how do you say it? Okay, that's how I say it. But my husband, I just had to ask because he told my children this morning, because this is how he says it. He's like, you can have orange juice. What? It's not orange. 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 <laughs> yes. And he's not from Boston. He's not from New York. He's a Midwesterner. So I don't know where he came up with orange. It's like that's- O-I-N-G. But anyway, I- poor poor is that how we decided that we were going to say it the poor Poor, archetype Mm -hmm. but it just made me laugh because if we don't control our ideas then we're going to be poor p-o-o-r so that p-u-e-r archetype can lead to p-o-o-r but Bridget I'm so sorry I skirted around the welcome I am so happy you are here and the energy just in the first like 10 minutes of chatting with you has been amazing I agree. Would you mind sharing or just giving the audience a brief introduction of who you are and and how you, well, I'm just going to say you, you wrote The Final Eighth. How did that come to be? So, yes, I wrote The Final Eighth and the subtitle is Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. And it came to be because I, like so many others, would get seven eighths of the way toward a goal and work really hard and be dedicated to it and then get stalled inside of the finish line. And it would be very painful and I'd be stuck and I wouldn't know why. I wouldn't understand because I felt like I was doing all the right things, which I was. And so ultimately the term, the final eighth literally came to me. It was like a gift from the muses because I'm a therapist and a coach I can give you some backstory later, but I realized when I was listening to different clients from different backgrounds with different career goals in different fields fall into this quagmire right at the finish line. And I realized it was a thing, so to speak. And so it's talented, creative, dedicated people get seven eighths of the way there. And that final eighth, they get stuck. And I do this work called voice dialogue. And it was developed by my mentors, the doctors, Hal and Sidra Stone. And it's a wonderful technique where you literally embody different parts of yourselves in dialogue from their point of view. And you get their wisdom and their concerns. And what I came to realize, what happens is you've got a whole bunch of your inner parts that help you get seven eighths of the way there. And then, boom, you've got to either cultivate new parts for the final eighth to basically go from contender to victor, or you've got parts in you that are scared of success and maybe even attached to some core negative beliefs that you learned early in your life. And this technique, which I guide readers through step-by-step, you get to learn what the agenda of these selves are because all of our parts serve the noble purpose of protection. So when you know that, you realize, okay, so if I'm stuck, there's a good reason somewhere. And instead of resisting resistance, you can go to the inner part of yourself that's resistance and ask what's going on, what does it care about? And often it's a 
something you had not thought of. And that's why it's a mystery that you're stuck. And so that part might tell you, maybe you don't have enough skills to be assertive. And so more people are going to want you and expect things from you. And so this resistor part is actually protecting you from failing in the future when you don't have enough of a foundation to support your success, for example. Mm, I love that you brought up the fear and I'm loving every part of this because I know that the fear is what kept me stuck for the longest time at that last milestone. I was scared of either not making money off my project or off my programs, like if I launched them or, and this is going to sound sort of funny, but actually making money, making a lot of money off the programs. I was afraid of a lot of money. I've learned through a lot of work on myself and with coaches that my money mindset was all about spend it quickly before anybody else does. So we were used to living on zero. You know, when money would come in, it would get spent. And I was afraid of what would happen. Sort of like lottery winners, you know, who a lot of them go even deeper into the hole after they win just because they made stupid spending decisions. I was afraid that that would happen to me if I actually had a product that launched well. And I talk about that. So what I'm hearing and tell me if I haven't, you know, gotten this correctly, but so internally, you put yourself in a double bind. You like were in a tug of war between the parts of you that wanted a lot of money and then the parts of you that didn't want a lot of money for whatever reason, including pressure. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have that, that double bind and they don't realize that they actually have fear of success, really, of having a lot. People might ask them for loans and things that they don't want to do, but they if it's easy when you don't have the money to say no to a loan request, for example. But what if you do? Like you said, a lot of lottery winners, and I talk about this, they declare bankruptcy and worse. So not only do they lose the money, they end up worse than they were before they won this enormous amounts of money because you're right they didn't have a healthy relationship with money just period but also they probably had a double bind between the parts that thought they were worth moving with it and the parts that said oh no way too dangerous mm-hmm. we had maybe 15 years ago and I'm admit I'm in southwest ohio the town north of us there were a whole bunch of city workers who won the mega millions it was like 150 million dollars wow. split amongst 12 people and most of these employees may have made thirty or forty thousand dollars a year, you know, and that that's probably going on the high side, to be fair. But wow, I remember okay. reading that, you know, people were crawling out of the woodwork, long lost relatives who hadn't wanted wow. to give them the time of day before, but now that they know they've won the lottery, yeah, I'd love to have you in my life again. And. It's actually very painful, isn't it? You just feel used. And there's family that I'm strained with, not to that extent, but I guess part of me, well, I can't say I guess anymore just because I'm bringing it out into the open. There is that part of me that would wonder, would that be the same for me? I don't want to build relationships based upon where I am financially standing. I do want to put out there though that A big part of my life when I was struggling in that mindset was that I thought that my success was based on money. And I've shifted that. Like my worth, my self worth isn't dependent anymore on how much money I make or how much money is in my bank account because I'm realizing that there's a whole lot more to life than just that. And isn't that liberating? That's huge what you just said. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I was 39 or 40. I'm only 41 now, but I believe I was 39 or 40 when that finally started to click. Wow. So it's still a new thing to me. I'm still getting used to it. And it feels like a shiny present still. You know, I it still has that fresh new smell of a of <laughs> new electronics. <laughs> yes. And I'm enjoying breathing that air still. Wow. I think that's great because it's also true. And like the attitude of what you just shared, 
then you can understand why people really suffer after they win this lottery. And because I think when you don't have that awareness, people are so blinded by, well, but money is the object, money is the solution, money is the problem, money is also the solution. Once again, it like never ends. They can't see what's underneath because if they're so blinded by more money equals better, better equals you're a better person, et cetera. And that's just not true. I actually call that a mirage goal. It tricks you. So you chase it. And then it's like, but wait, where's the satisfaction that I was thinking I was going to get? I've actually done it. A lot of my clients come because they've had the success. And that's why I call a lot of the final eighth issues, success issues. They've done it, but it didn't do what they thought it would do for them emotionally or spiritually. And that's what the final eighth can also be enjoying on a fuller level all that you have wherever you are and not chasing mirage goals as if that's going to give you fulfillment, a bank account number. I have two teenagers and I love that you just said mirage goals because I'm going to have to share that with them as well. One of them finally has it through his head that he's actually a senior and he's graduating high school this year and getting college admissions now. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so scary. I know. We're waiting for the last two to come in now and then he'll make his decision. But he finally picked a major based on something that he's really passionate about versus something that he was going to because he thought he could make a lot of money there. Oh. And coincidentally, the major that he's now picked And you know, and listeners, I'm sure you've heard before too, we're a video gaming family. We love our electronics. We love computers, you know, and everything. While I haven't played in probably about six weeks, it's a big part of our life and playing together. But anyway, he decided to go into computer engineering because he wants to build bigger, better, or smaller and better Mm. components for computers. And he's just so passionate about it and he loves it. But he was thinking that he wanted to be an accountant originally. I was like, why? I couldn't imagine. And no offense to accountants out there. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, but both my parents were accountants. And I knew that that was like the last thing I wanted to do. He said, well, because I think they make a lot of money. And he said, but is that a good reason? Like, don't you want to get into something that you're really passionate about? So he thought about it and changed his mind. My 15-year-old, on the other hand, we had an issue a couple summers ago where he asked me to drop him off a couple blocks away from where he and his friends were all meeting. (laughs) Because at that time, I was driving a 1996 conversion van, and he didn't want to be embarrassed. And he kept on asking me, when are we going to buy something new? When are we going to buy something new? Mom, look at that car. Mom, look at that car. You know, And I was admittedly a little bit butthurt from it. Yeah. But I also needed him to understand that it's how successful we are as a family isn't determined by what vehicle we're driving. I have finally upgraded my vehicle, everybody. And it's amazing. (laughs) And I don't say that to brag, but he's not embarrassed anymore. But it also came with an awesome lesson for him that we bought a two-year-old car and we saved, like we paid a third of what it would have been brand new off the lot so that you know there were multiple lessons to be learned off of that and I hope he gets the rest of the way and I'll just have to keep on coaching him but I love the mirage goal what was your journey up to the final eighth like how did you know that this was a book you needed to write so I'm a former performer and also a believer in synchronicity and just enjoying saying yes to the unexpected when I've discovered Colin Wilson, who is now passed, and read about him. He was a British writer from out of the 1950s and 60s. He said, live at any moment, you could get the absurd good news. And I loved that. And that why not choose optimism? And his whole thing was that pessimism and nihilism often had like the sheen of intellectual superiority. And his thesis was why you can be an optimist and live life that way and have lots of heft. So there was something in discovering the strength of that, that happened at the same time that I was performing in New York City and I was doing improvisation and comedy. I did a uh, stand up and 
I discovered through a book, this technique called voice dialogue, which I mentioned. And I thought, this sounds amazing. And since I was doing improvisation and this voice dialogue was described as embodying different parts of yourself, that fit just what I was doing anyway. And I thought, well, this sounds like a great technique for exploring characters and exploring new material. So I hunted them down which in those days it was get their 800 number. And so I started to get voice dialogue sessions, which now I train people to do that. And I give people voice dialogue sessions. And I learned about myself, my different parts that I led with. And I learned where they lived in my body and what their agendas were, what their gifts were, and also what their sting was. A perfectionist used wisely helps you have a certain high standard if that's something you care about. But too much perfectionism, as I'm sure you know, can really hurt you. You don't get sleep. You end up missing deadlines because it's not perfect. So the more I got into voice dialogue and started to train as a trainer, I watched people transform so quickly when they realized they were so much more than they thought they were. And that just doing this, the voice dialogue and, and getting access to their different selves was healing in and of itself. And it started to just consume me that I moved over and went back to school. I went to Columbia University and got my master's in social work to become a therapist because I just was taken so fully with the healing powers of this work. And then I got clinical training and experience, which I think is really important. And now I've come full circle. So I've got all that under my belt. And I myself have walked away from projects that were very painful. And still, I have a little sadness, because I wasn't able to like complete things that I cared about. And I worked hard. And that was the other thing. People would say things like, well, you know, you just have to show up. And I would think long before as a therapist, I didn't have the language for any of this that I'm using with you. But I think to myself, I show up not only every day, probably 18 hours a day, I show up. That's not my issue. Working hard was never the problem nor the solution for me because I already was. And so they say that your clients come to you that you're right for. And my client base was full of people like that, that it's like the problem wasn't about working hard. And then, like I told you, the final eighth concept just came to me. And that's how I knew I wanted to write the book. And it took me a long time. I used to say, oh, I'm still working on finishing my book. I'm not finishing. Now I can't say that anymore. I have to come up with new punchlines, which I'm happy to do. So that's how it happened. It's like the book I would have loved to have read 20 years ago. And it starts off really introducing this wonderful technique but it really gets into the depth, which we have touched upon, of the double bind. When you literally have parts of yourself in a tug of war with different parts, just like relationship with money, like the part that says, yeah, I want a lot of money. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we need enough money to live how we choose to live. It's an energy. It's the currency of our era. So I'm not at all against money. But if it becomes your only mirror of success or worth in all your other areas of your life, or like we discussed, if there's something you're afraid of, like that money makes you a target that you're not going to enjoy for some reason, most people aren't aware of it. This book really helps you identify your double bind, the parts of you that are knotted. And it's because you're so close that it comes up. And we have discomfort as humans physiologically, so we pay attention. So instead of being upset with yourself because you don't feel good about this stuckness, say, okay. This not feeling good is actually a call for me to pay attention. However, I'm paying attention currently isn't working. And that's another reason I wanted to write the book as a way for people to explore a whole new way to dig in and unknot their double bind so that they can cross their finish line. I have no doubt that I have struggled with paying enough attention to myself, number one, and to and this is beside the point, but it, it's included as well to my family over the mm. years. But the family was the result of not paying enough attention to myself. Going back to what you were saying about showing up, I was showing up physically to so much. I could say the same thing that you were. I was showing up 18, sometimes 20 hours a day, seven days a week. 
but I was not there emotionally. I was not there. That's the best thing I can say is I was not there. Or maybe consciously too, maybe, or fully or more conscious. Yeah. And going back to chronic idea disorder, I finally figured out that the reason why I wasn't and why I haven't been working on my book was because I've been in my book physically, but my passion wasn't there because I wasn't writing it from the right voice. I wasn't writing it from my voice. I was writing it from the voice that I thought publishers and readers would expect, but not the one that I knew I needed to write it from. Oh, when did you come up with that insight? Because that's so empowering. It's probably been about a year. Okay. And I've this is so inappropriate and I'm sorry. I've shared it with listeners. Actually, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. But oh, having, good. Don't be, I, but you can be sorry, but you can not be sorry too. Yeah. See, you can be both with voice dialogue in the final eighth. I was having a conversation with a podcasting friend, Donnie Bovine, and I said, and it just hit me. And this is, I mean, this is a true side effect of chronic idea disorder. Ideas just hit me all the time. We'll get into one of those ideas in a little bit because I was inspired by something else that you said, but I was talking to Donnie and all of a sudden it hit me that chronic idea disorder is like bad sex. Oh, and I know it's somewhat inappropriate. <laughs> I do have to hear so, more. Go on. Um, sorry guys, but this comment is totally for the women. It's like going for the big O. You can try it and try and try and try, but you're likely to not get there if you don't know how to manage it. It being chronic idea disorder. And it so parallels everything that we're talking about. It's the finish line. We just don't get there. You know? Exactly. I'm taking a, a little adjustment second here because now I have to imagine the way you're describing this because I totally agree. But you also made me think of a positive side of the chronic idea disorder, or one might call it the multiple chronic idea asmicness or something. I call them the big <laughs> outcomes. Okay. So as far Ooh, as so as that. far as chronic idea disorder, the big O is going to be the multiple outcomes. And there's so oh, many. I there's there's the physical outcome that will result. There's the emotional and just the adrenaline that you'll have when you actually complete something. Yes. And in my book I talk about practicing safe success because <laughs> we did not script any of this i just need to None let listeners this. know the safe scripts <laughs> I love it. it's true but we did agree we would go with our flowing and it's flowing but so because that's the other thing is that it can just disappear in the success or the big o's and if you practice safe success you can take care of yourself so that you can continue and you don't sabotage and blow it in some way that surprises you. And one of the things, and this is based on one of your podcasts that you talk about, which I just adore, where you give people really concrete ideas of how to capture the chronic ideas that you have in a disorder episode. And so then the parts of you that know those are good ideas and also may be anxious, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to lose them. You came up with such great hints about how to do it. And that to me is also practicing safe success. Like you can't do, it's true that you can't do them all at once, but if you have a system and I talk about sometimes the feng shui, like how does your environment, and it could be through computer and technology or physical, like what's your file cabinet look like or your bookcase. If those are places that support your final eighth goals or the future final eighth goals it, coming out of a chronic idea episode, then that much more productive. And I love that. Then you have many O's that you get to in a timely fashion when the timing is right. I wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're trying to work on too many things. Maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose. If this sounds like you, I want to offer you an opportunity to join the Positive Productivity Pod, my monthly mentorship and coaching community. 
For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started, and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. I am just blown away that you brought up Feng Shui because I would say 2014, 2015, shortly after we moved in to this house, there was actually, it was one of the first episodes, I believe, and I'm having a brain fart, so I can't remember the name. I'm sorry, (laughs) but it was a Feng Shui consultant. We talked a little bit after we finished recording and I expressed some of the struggles that I was experiencing in life and business. And she asked me how my desk was facing. And at that point, I was facing a corner. And she said, well, you're running into the wall. And I have to say that after I turned my desk around and started facing the room, that more opportunities started presenting themselves. However, there is that bit of struggle that I sometimes face, frequently face, I just need to put it out there, with clutter. Because a cluttered space gives me a cluttered mind. Like, Right now I'm looking at stuff that my kids left on my desk. I don't know why my family thinks that I need to manage the mail. So they'll just (laughs) throw the mail on my desk. Or like I'm looking at my window air conditioner, excuse me, that was taken out of the window, but it's just on the floor in the office. And it's driving me crazy. Those little clutter bits will pollute my mind and prevent me from achieving stuff because they take over that valuable space. Exactly. Now, and we could do this if you want to, but we could also then say, if we were going to work together in the final eighth process, we would go and talk to your clutter self and not without judgment. And we might ask your clutter self, like, what do you care about? What do you like about clutter? What's your best clutter success? So you really get to hear from that part of you that you're defining as a problem. And it is because I bet you would find out wild things if we really went to your clutter self and listened to it. And also, again, all of this is in the book. You can ask your clutter self, so where do you live in Kim's body or my clutter self and Bridget's body. So it also helps build awareness like, oh, I can feel my clutter self. And then I could feel the self that doesn't like the clutter. So that's another way in where it's like embracing the thing that bothers you, knowing that there's wisdom somewhere, but it does not mean you thus have to live with clutter. Not at all. That's the fear, but not the fact. So that might be fun for you to explore. Oh, and the other thing, if it's okay, I want to go back to you. And and I'm just so happy to hear that you're writing your book from your point of view. That what helped me was realizing that I was just going to write it because I too was thinking, well, what would a publisher like? Then I thought, no, let me just write this book. And so then I didn't, because of the power of self-publishing, I realized, oh, I don't need a publisher to publish this. If worse comes to worse, that's my plan B. And kind of like the desk thing, when I finished it, I ended up getting the publisher of my dreams, which was is New World Library. Mm. But to write the book, I gave up all ideas of publishing fantasies. And then I wrote the book. And then the paradox is, my publishing fantasy came true. So I just want to support that. And even like going to the clutter self, the paradox often is suddenly there's less clutter because you have a direct relationship with your own clutter self. I have a friend, also another podcaster, Art Costello, and his podcast is Shower Epiphanies. Just need to give a shout out to Art. He did not ask for this pitch. But a lot of what he talks about is releasing expectations. And it sounds Mm. like when you let go of the expectations you were allowed to let flow and I've seen from myself and I've seen with a lot of clients as well that when we release those expectations on ourselves, for example releasing the expectation that my course is going to sell a lot you know just doing it because that's what I want to do without the expectation of making money off of it I gave myself permission to have a lot more fun in the creation process That's amazing. And again, then it might be a cliche about embracing the paradox. 
But what better lifestyle choice than one that includes fun instead of funds all the time? That's my punner. That's a tweetable (laughs) right there. (laughs) (laughs) Just came out. But seriously, that's how I start. I've started to expand the definition of lifestyle. And the inner lifestyle is really how you go throughout your day. And the bank account is what it is. And so fun, that's one of my big, happy love language words. You are just feeding chronic idea disorder. I need to let you know that like I'm making, (laughs) I'm not normally here because I like to be in the conversation fully. I mean, to me, that's my responsibility is to be in the conversation fully, but you keep on feeding my brain with topic ideas. And I just need to throw this out there. Listeners, we're recording this in early 2021. I don't like to timestamp, but Clubhouse is a new thing. And Bridget and I were talking earlier. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP696 to get both Bridget's and my Clubhouse IDs so that you can be following us on there. But we are going to be having a follow-up conversation over there. But you have me thinking about all these other conversations that we can be having now. Fun or funs, a topic for entrepreneurs. Showing up physically and emotional, emotionally as an entrepreneur. I'm making this whole list of of conversations that you and I can be having over there because they're conversations that so need to be heard. And that's one thing that I've seen on that platform is the authenticity shining through. And you can totally feel it when somebody's not being authentic. Or I'm just going to pick on the showing up physically and emotionally. I was in a podcasting room the other day and somebody was talking about a podcast that they were about to launch. And the the person seriously sounded like the teacher from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like bored when they were telling the room about their podcast topic. Wow. And when you can't be excited about what you're creating, then how can you get anybody else to be excited about it? And I'm not saying that we need to go and be the most excitable person on the face of the planet. I know that there's people out there that are way they have 10,000 times more energy than I do. And when I'm behind the mic, I tend to ask any of my friends, I have a whole ton more energy behind the mic than I do in, well, even in the pre-chat. I mean, my energy was still awesome there, but it's amplified. But the authenticity on Clubhouse is amazing. However, I know that there's still people who are looking for the solutions, right? How do we move past where we are? And right. I just want to follow that little bit up just with something. And I know this is a whole spiel on Clubhouse really fast. But when I first got in, I saw all these rooms about how to become a millionaire and then undercover billionaire conversations and Grant Cardone is in those rooms. And it came a little bit too much for me because that's not my focus anymore. Great. I know a lot of people want to know how to be a millionaire or a billionaire, but how about how to impact people with our business? How to make sure that your purpose is showing through in your business and that you're living with that first in mind, you know? So I realize that we need to share, like when we have an important message in our brand, then it's our responsibility to share that. So don't get overwhelmed by all these people who are talking about becoming millionaires and billionaires because that might not be what's most important to us. Exactly. And depending on who you are, that may be secondary, but they don't realize it. In other words, if you follow your gift and your passion, you want to make money, ideally. And some people, that really is their goal. They're like, I like making money. It's a game and it's a strategy and it's exciting. Then that's fine because they really are connected to their passion. But if it feels, again, like chasing mirage goals of status and then you get the status and you don't feel any better. And I'm just even wondering, and it, it doesn't matter in the larger sense, but this podcaster you described is not like so bored with his own subject. You have to wonder, is he doing it because he's like some part of him is a, a should part? And he's like, well, I guess I should do a podcast. And I guess if I do, it should be about this. And then if I were working with him, it's like, let's go to that should self. And then we'd say, well, what would you like to do? What do you do when you get some time off? Well, what if we could 
use that thing that you make sure that you get to on Saturdays. That could be a better, much better podcast. Oh, and I know for me, and my guess is you too, like if someone is fascinated with something that either I've never heard of or I didn't think of as something fascinating, if they think it's fascinating and they explain to me the, the fascination, I'm fascinated. There was a time I can drive, but I'm not a truck driver. There was this whole documentary ser- series on truck drivers and regulations and how they work and all of this stuff, which is not what you think of when you think of me, those that know me. But because it was so fascinating to the documentary makers, I was pulled in and I watched, there were three full episodes and I watched them all because the fascination that they shared pulled me in. I'm like, this is fascinating. So I'm just agreeing with you. If it doesn't fascinate one, don't do it. We don't need it either. The world does not need another podcast because someone feels they should do one. There's no more should room on this planet. The good news about where we are is that there's more room for people to live their passion. And that's what's going to help us all in our varying ways. Absolutely. And I have to admit, positive productivity was a should when it first started. Oh, absolutely. Say more. I have no doubt with my faith that God gave me the name positive productivity, but I didn't know what the podcast was about. I had just been hearing everybody should have a podcast. So I did it. And I almost launched two podcasts at the same time. I'm very thankful that I dropped one of them (laughs) because I realized I was starting, I can't even say that. I realized I just didn't have the passion for the second one. And I wanted to stay Mm. with positive productivity. I was totally following income at that point. My goal was to get sponsors. And now I don't want sponsors on the show, period. I'd rather talk about the products that I use and that the guests use and maybe throw an affiliate link in there. But no, I'm not out there to get sponsorships. It was totally a should. And I've learned to stop shitting on myself. Oh, another freeing, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that yeah. liberating when you're like, oh, wait a minute, get off me, sugar. No. Yeah. yeah. Which is very different than saying, I choose to do something that I actually don't want to do in the moment, but because I care about this person and they need me, I'm choosing to. So none of this is about not doing something that you maybe aren't preferring to do. You still might choose to do the thing you don't actually prefer to in the moment, but it's a choice and it's not shooting all over you because I did, I'm- Oh no, I'm, I heard it. You didn't say a cuss word. You said should. <laughs> oh, right. But also, I think people sometimes confuse that with then you start to be self-involved and selfish and unethical. And I'm just saying, no, it doesn't mean when you stop shooting all over yourself, you are actually have much more power to be truly ethical, to truly say, yes, I will do this. And no, I won't do that. And it's really empowering. Because I think sometimes people worry that if they don't have their should self activated, they'll start to get you know, selfish. People feel like that's a word I work with a lot with my clients. And I like to say self-full. All right, let's talk to the part of you that judges you for being self-full and let's talk to the self-full part. And so often that's another thing and my book gets into it is what language we use that reflects rules that we're living by and we don't even know it. Like you should do X. Well, sometimes we're not even conscious that that's what's at foot. Oh, there's so much behind all this. And I just need to share with listeners. I mean, if you've been around a while, you know that the show just reformatted again. And that was another should that I had to get rid of. So maybe I'm not done shutting on myself. It's an ongoing, everlasting process where I'll be getting shoulds until the end of time. I mean, there's things I should, I should be feeding my kids clean, organic foods, but we still eat McDonald's more than I want to admit, you know, so it, it will go on with me forever. But with the reformatting of the show, I realized that my show was becoming more about the guests. No offense to you, Bridget. I mean, you're here. None taken. And that I was losing my voice in it. And it was also just burning me out still. So <laughs> I just need to put this out there because you know how transparent I am. My team and I, we went through my calendar and we just deleted every single podcast episode that was coming up with a guest. 
And unfortunately for Bridget, and my apologies to you, because we didn't even look at what the topic was going to be about. We just cleared it all off the board and we made a calendar for this year of what the theme of each month is. And then we decided that we would get one guest for each month that would be perfectly in line. And then after the fact, I realized, oops, you know, I deleted people that I really shouldn't have deleted. So thank you, Bridget, for rescheduling, because I mean, clearly you were supposed to be here. Right. No, my pleasure. And can I just say, I actually really appreciate your honesty about that. And it's really empowering because it's true. No one wins, least of all you, when you're burnt out. And there's a lot, people can even have shame or they're like, oh, I don't want to share what's really going on. And so I do think you're a really great example of empowering people to admit what's going on to themselves and shift. A lot of people don't allow themselves to pivot, to use another current word, but because they feel that that means they're inconsistent. And I often ask, what rule says inconsistency is bad, first of all? And what does it even mean when you say inconsistent? So I just want to reflect that having being a listener of your podcast as well and looking, reading and really learning a lot through your website I don't know how much you know you actually empower people by admitting these things out loud and then also itemizing how you dealt with it. Because the other thing is, it sounds great. You deleted it and then you picked what had energy for you and thus would have energy for your audience. Absolutely. You know, there's so many people who talk about the downside of 2020. And yes, it was so stressful. My kids are all in school today, but they will be home tomorrow. A Wednesday because it's the hybrid for the second half of the week right now. They are still virtual. But that was probably my most stressful part of 2020 was just having my kids home with me all the time. I love them, but there is only so much that I can handle. And it's about an hour. I hate to say that, but I'm just being honest here. And when it came to recording podcasts, I realized that I had fallen back into a habit or I was maintaining the habit of saying yes to far too mm. much. I signed up to be a Girl Scout leader because I wanted to be able to set the day of the week that the meetings were on. Oh, I feel bad if my co-leader is listening because I have never admitted that to her. I probably should, <laughs> but I really had no passion. I am not the one who's on Pinterest looking for Girl Scout troop ideas. She is. She has every meeting planned, but I had fallen into that. Yes, yes, yes. And I realized I'm very thankful for 2020 and the way that it worked out because it made me start to realize things like that, that I need to say yes to me more. Yes. That's been my experience of 2020 with all due respect to people who suffered tremendously. But I had, I would call them vague desires for a change, like literally my office setting. I was sitting too much, too sedentary for both just in general, but I am a dancer, mover type of person. And COVID just shifted so many things for me and opened up so many opportunities, like being able to put out my book and really be present for it. So I agree with you. And I'm never going to go back to many things because I don't want to. And I learned, it gave me the momentum to do what I had been subtly yearning for. And there it is. Now I'm based basically out of my home office virtually and things will change again. And that's okay, but they're never going back the same way but I'm happy about that. There were so many things that I now can joyously claim that I wouldn't have even allowed myself permission to explore the possibility of doing. What is one 2020 development that you are embarrassed to admit that you appreciate? And I can share wow. mine so that you understand the type. Please do. Yes. Okay. A local Mexican restaurant now has takeout margaritas. I only did it once, okay? But they give it to you in a foam cup and then you can take it to go. I'm also in Ohio where people have tailgating sessions outside of high school football games. I took my margarita into the soccer game in my (laughs) 
I love that. So ask me the question again, because I loved how you phrased it, because I think I have two answers. Well, I can't believe that I just publicly admitted that I got a margarita in a styrofoam cup to go and took it into a soccer game. <laughs> so what is one 2020 development that you would be embarrassed to admit that you appreciate? But the one that comes up, which is nothing compared to yours, is that because I'm in New York City and there's a lot of gourmet salad places, many have closed, but I go and get this very expensive salad, which is very special, that I would never have allowed myself to buy it so many times, but I give myself the not bad rationalization, I'm helping the business. So I'm embarrassed to admit I wouldn't have spent in this year as much as on this particular salad. But because it was 2020, I was actually helping the business. You see, that's a different self. You can hear me say it. So then I basically splurged on this almost 100% more than I might have otherwise. Okay. But on your behalf, having lived outside of New York City and having worked in Midtown, I remember salad bars. And while most, a lot of people, especially those in my area where I live right now, would think of a salad bar as a counter in the supermarket or at a restaurant where you can just take your plate up and get your stuff. The salad bars, as I remember them from New York City, are nothing similar to that. Like they make salad spectacular, even for people who yes. do not like greens. Correct. Thank you for that. I never quite thought of it. That's right. Each you might have on this broad selection, literally jewels of gourmet food and stuff you'd never make at home. So that's the other thing. It's like, I can't make it at home because it's like smoked trout and goat cheese and things like that. So yes, you are exactly right. Thanks for bringing that up. And also because New York has so many cultures, often with this particular place I'm talking about, it's Moroccan and French and American. So there's housemaid harissa that comes from a family that the grandmother used to make it when they lived in Morocco so that the flavors are amazing. And New York still has spices where people go and, you know, maybe they're first generation here. So if from India, you can go to a few sections where it's saffron literally from India without the middleman or paprika. Paprika, which I never used to think of as having that much flavor, is so aromatic. So you're right. Thank you for helping my rationalize yourself. That is what I'm talking about. Oh, and I, if I were in New York, sign me up. I would be right there at the, <laughs> at the, you know, at the world class salad bars with you. Oh, good. Yeah. And then I certainly join you for a drink. So don't think I wouldn't have that margarita. Okay. And I do just want to put this out there. I was not drinking or driving, okay, or drinking and driving. The straw did not go into the cup until I got to the soccer game and I was sober on my way home or else I would have called my husband and said, come get me. Perfect. Because you have teenagers to model for. Yes, also. absolutely. So that's good. I'm glad you clarified. Yeah, I just need to put that there. Don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive. By the way, I have an app on my phone now. This is totally off topic. We have USAA car insurance and they give us a discount. They monitor how much we're using our devices while we're driving. And it's oh. made me so much aware. And I'm actually going to make my kids get it on their phones when they start driving our cars because it tracks how much we're using our devices. So I am purposely not using my devices while driving because I don't want to pay more in car insurance. That is brilliant. And talk about a reinforcement that's not draconian, but really effective because other drivers don't want any other drivers to be texting either. Everybody is in danger. If only one person is texting, think about how many other people are in danger. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, my husband and I aren't necessarily afraid of our driving, but it's the kids out there who are texting and driving that we are afraid of. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's great. Because again, we go keep going back to money, but that's a perfect place where you put in natural consequences. You do this, you pay more. Often people change their behavior. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Bridget, this has been amazing. And listeners, I want to remind you to go to the show notes page at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP696. 
where you will find all the ways to connect to both Bridget and myself if this is the first time that you're listening. But make sure to connect with us on Clubhouse. Whether you're listening on the day that this episode goes live or in the future, we will be sharing a conversation in a room on there shortly after this episode goes live. But I know that you'll be able to find us in there in the future. But Bridget, where else can people find you and connect with you online? So uh, you can Google Final Eighth and all over social media and I have finaleighth.com website as well as my name. And also for you personally, Kim, if you like, and any listeners, every third Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, my colleague Eric and I host a free Zoom voice dialogue webinar where we do a couple of basic voice dialogue sessions. So Anyone who wants to just contact me for the Zoom link, you can email me and you'll watch how it works. So especially if you get the book and you're doing it through the book, you can say, well, how exactly does that work? Every third Thursday, come and it's a wonderful experience and people always learn a lot and it's live. So again, kind of like our talk today, we don't rehearse or anything. Someone gets in the hot seat and talks to oneself and then another self. And it's amazing. So third Thursdays at eight, you can always come by every month. And I look forward to seeing people. Amazing. And I just want to put out there that final eighth is with the number eight. So unless you have both URLs, which would be a good idea, by the way. You are so good. Now you gave me a to do, but I will check. I don't know. Thank you. Yeah, go do that today so somebody doesn't buy it after they listen to the podcast episode. <laughs> but yes, oh my yeah, gosh. But listeners, thank you so much for being here. I have totally appreciated that you are here to listen to and to help spread the message that Bridget and I have been sharing today. Please make sure to go over to your preferred listening platform, leave a comment and a review for the podcast and make sure to go again to the show notes page and let us know what you especially loved about the episode. Bridget, thank you so much for being here. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can leave for the listeners? I think I'm going to repeat the line that really motivates me, especially when I start to drag a little in energy, which is live as if at any moment you could get the absurd good news. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. (laughs) 